6. We read it together out loud. Let me read it together with you as you listen to it one more time. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, like I said a second ago, I want this month to be a joy for everyone. I want you to understand that I don't want to add to your list of Christmas to-dos at all. But I want to encourage you with what God has already done. You see, if His name is wonderful, then there should be nothing dull about His reign. Amen? As counselor, He has the wisdom to rule justly. And you know what? This is what is amazing and wonderful and the wow moment that we'll talk about in a few minutes here. God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us as individuals or as countries or anything is a child. The power of God is so far superior to the Assyrians that Isaiah had in mind here, partially, and to all the other big shots of the world that have come since then, that God can defeat all of them by coming as a child. His answer to the bullies that have swaggered through the universe, through history, is not to become an even bigger bully. His answer is a child. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's why in Isaiah 9, you have this magnificent celebration of hope in face of a national trauma and a disaster and despair. And we journeyed through Isaiah together as a church just recently. Isaiah is facing foreign invasion in his country with Israel. Sounds familiar to today. Shrouded in fearful gloom, utter darkness, as Isaiah 8, 22 says. The mood is not unlike what we see in many places today. Only this isn't the tragic death of thousands of innocent people. But in Isaiah's day, it was the annihilation of an entire country by foreigners. The Assyrians were threatening to evade from the north and haul them off into exile, which they will do a few short years from the time of this writing. But on Isaiah 9, Isaiah turns the people's gaze, their look from the present to the future, to what God is going to do to put the world right and redeem his people and you'll notice that this chapter is cast in the form of a poem a song it's a celebration of hope 
And you also note that it's cast in the past tense, as if, as if it's already happened. From both Isaiah and God's perspective, it has. It's as good as done. And that's the confidence that Israel needed to have in response to this powerful prophetic word. It is the response that we are to have to this powerful prophetic word against the backdrop of despair and gloom. Isaiah envisions the the dawning of the light of salvation in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9, which results in great joy for God's people in verse 3. And God is going to bring about liberation from foreign oppressors in verse 4. But more than that, he is going to bring about a complete sensation, completely wipe out warfare itself in verse 5. And how is he going to do it? Once again, it's the gift of a son. It's the birth of a child. The birth of a child, Jesus. And then Isaiah opens up for us this coming king, this long-awaited Messiah. He's already hinted at the birth of this world-transforming child earlier in chapter 7 when he announced that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But here he starts dropping some names. Wonderful counselor. He elaborates, he elaborates at great length about who this child is going to be. Four more names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah tells us that this child will have a name. Then he goes on to list more than one. Now, I don't know how many names you have. I have three legal names. James Scott Julian. And then people over the years have called me way more names than that. Right? I have many names. And Jesus has many. The Bible gives him, at least, depending on who you want to talk to on this, at least 256 names. Why? Well, Jesus is like a fine diamond. So all of you gals that have a diamond right now, you can look at your diamond. It's totally okay. You're not boasting. I'm allowing you. Every time you examine that diamond, you see something a little different. You see a new aspect to it. And Jesus is like that fine diamond. Every time you examine him, you see a new facet of his character and of his glory. In fact, when we get to heaven, he will reveal yet another name for himself and for who else? Us. That will be unique to our relationship with him. Look it up in Revelation 2.17. Today, we take up this first name, Wonderful Counselor, And just to be clear, though, this is a name given to the child, but as in the case with biblical names, it refers, though, in this case, really to who? God himself. 
The child reveals God to be wonderful counselor. What does it mean? Literally, a, a wonder of a counselor. An extraordinary counselor. Perhaps a counselor of wonders. One who counsels amazing things. The wording there is interesting. That word wonderful means supernatural, secret, and extraordinary. It points out the truth that there is nothing common about Jesus. He is the miracle man. He is far beyond our level of comprehension. We cannot completely figure him out. Yet he can be known by a little child. And he's wonderful. He is wonderful in his words. He is wonderful in his works. And he is wonderful in his ways. Amen? And he's counselor. I'm going to unpack that one a little bit for you. That, that word means to advise, to counsel, to propose, to devise a plan. It, it refers to his role as leader and guiding force of our lives. Now, when we hear the word counselor today, we think of a therapist. Instead, we should think of something completely different because that word means nothing about going and lying down on a couch and just blabbering for an hour. That is not what this word means. Counselor means strategist. In the ancient world, the kings had what? Counselors advisors, strategists. And they were people who devised plans to cause a, a wonderful win in military victories. It's a way of thinking about God and how God plans and purposes ought to fill us with wonder. His strategy to save us should put us in a state of wow. Have you ever had those moments where something happens and you just go, wow, wow, that is, that is amazing. Now, when you do the wow, now for me, you guys know, I'm a sports guy. There's a great play. There's an incredible home run. There's a touchdown. There's an interception. There's Georgia losing yesterday. There's a wow. And often there's a gasp, a, a sharp intake of breath when you can't think of another way to capture it. You're just like, <gasps> and when we see his plans revealed through this child, we should have that type of wow moment. Wow means we are never dulled to wonder. We should be clicking into being fully present when we're stunned into that gasp. Wow is about having your mind blown by the mesmerizing, miraculous Messiah. Been working on that all week. <laughs> Write it down, it works. The mesmerizing, miraculous Messiah. 
That's what it means to say that this child is to be born. The son is to be given. Name Jesus, wonderful counselor. He reveals God's wonderful, filled wisdom for the world. It causes us to say, wow. His plans, his strategy blows our mind. It mesmerizes us with the miraculous. It, it, it should shock us in his beauty. Unexpected flashes of grace. When people that come to know the Lord and you sit there and say, I would have never thought that guy would be saved. Wow. And it really should be that way for us, right? Why in the world has he said, I'm worthy to be saved? Wow. See, wow, he's wisdom incarnate. You see, the prophet Isaiah could only see the outline of what's going on. We see it in full color. The child that is born, the son who is given, is none other than Jesus of Nazareth. He is God's wonderful counselor. He is God's wisdom incarnate. He is the embodiment of God's saving plan for the world. The kind of plan that makes us say, wow. Consider the incarnation. What a wonder it is when God decided to redeem the world. He chose to unite divinity and humanity. The infinite to take on the finite. The, the deity to become a baby. Who would ever come up with that? A sovereign and holy God wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Seriously? This is how God redeems the world. By becoming like us in every respect except one. Yet without sin. Consider Jesus' life, displaying the wisdom of God perfectly in all that he did, not just in his teaching, but in his way of life. He didn't live high on the hog or in a palace with, the, with royalty. Instead, he lived in a, a low life, a meekness, humility, born to a common family, uh, a mom who was a, a young virgin, a common man, a carpenter as a dad, one who came not to be Served, but to serve is Jesus. Second Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Think about his death for a moment. He died, the Bible says, in our place for our sins, not for his own, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says that. But even more than that, because it was in our place, he had to endure the fury of God's wrath. It was poured out on him for our sin, he was forsaken on the cross so we didn't have to be forsaken for all of eternity. God gave him judgment so you and I could receive mercy. 
the wonderful wisdom of God as our counselor, our strategist in salvation. His resurrection. He was crucified, died, buried in the ground for two whole days. And on the third day, as we would think against all odds, usually by the third day someone's dead, they're not going to pop up and say, I've not been dead. God triumphed over the grave by raising Jesus from the dead. You want to talk about a nail-biter of a story. There's hope against all hope in the resurrection of Christ. God defeats death by enduring death itself. So what Isaiah sees here is only an outline. What we see now with the greater light of revelation of everything that's gone on to this point in full color is amazing. Jesus is the embodiment of God's saving wisdom and it fills us with delight and surprise and mesmerizes us with an unexpected grace that we, none of us, deserve. And the angels were astonished by this as well, right? It's no wonder that whenever we find an announcement of Jesus' birth in the Gospels, you know what we find? Angels. Angels singing their hearts out. As though they can't contain their surprise and delight of what God has revealed of his plans in the life of that child. And some people, every once in a while, when we go through these moments... You have to be reminded that theologically, biblically, the angels had no idea what the plan was. They knew there was a plan. They had been trying to figure it out. The angels had been trying to figure it out for centuries. Millennia, even. How is God going to redeem the world? Ever since God showed mercy rather than wrath to the first couple, Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, the angels knew death would not be the ultimate end for humanity, but they had no idea how God was going to do it. They could only speculate and try to figure it out. That's why Peter tells us that the angels strained to get a glimpse. You remember this part of scripture? It's 1 Peter 1. They strayed to get a glimpse of how it was that God was going to redeem humanity. These were things, he says, quote, into which angels longed to look into. I can imagine the angels like eager children trying to peek through the wrapping paper to see what wonder is inside the package. How is God going to do this? The angels knew it was going to be amazing. But how is he going to do this? But I will tell you, Scott Julian editorial comment on angels. I would bet in all of their speculation and pondering about how God was going to redeem the world, they would have never thought that God himself would do it. 
What angel would ever imagine the creator God taking on human flesh, being made, as the psalmist says, a little lower than the angels? There's no angel that would ever think God's going to make himself lower than me. Imagine their surprise and delight when they saw God in a manger. No wonder they sang. It was that wow moment, that hark, the herald, the angels sing moment. But here's the amazing thing, everyone. This story is not done. The wow moment is not done. The wonderful counselor name is not finished. Because there is this wow moment of the wisdom of God involving His church. In the display of His wow wisdom, God doesn't stop with Christ. He continues to display His wisdom in and through the body of Christ today, the church, you and me. The Apostle Paul picks up this point in the book of Ephesians. He says something completely audacious. He says that we, the church, are now the place where God reveals His wonderful counsel. He says that in Ephesians 3 verses 8 through 10. He says, the church is now the place where God reveals his wonderful counselor. But it makes sense. Jesus is the head of the church. And what's his name? Wonderful counselor. We are his ambassadors. We are his children. We are part of his body. Guess what name we take on in this world today? Wonderful counselor. We get to share with people today the wonder of what God has done and counsel them into the strategy of how God saves. Which makes sense because Jesus said, everyone go into all the world and share the gospel. The wonderful counselor would tell people that because he is counseling us how to Win, according to his plan. Think about what the church is. Think about we're called the body of Christ. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think about when, when I think about what God has done in my life, I go, God, you have chosen some pretty unlikely people. And we see that even in 1 Corinthians that we've been going through in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. It's a weird group of people. The body of Christ and all of our beautiful oddness. It's actually a living testimony to the wonderful counselor who has put this whole thing together in a way that surprises and delights us all. Every saving encounter with Jesus, every act of conversion should be attached to what C.S. Lewis calls a case of being surprised by joy. When you come to Christ, you meet the wonderful counselor 
and learn about his mesmerizing, miraculous plans for your life, and it fills you with surprise, delight, and joy. Surprised by joy. Joy to the world, the angels sing. And of course, it doesn't stop when you meet Jesus. The delight surprises on and on and on throughout the whole time that you are here on this earth. Not just at first, when you first meet Jesus, but as you learn to walk with Jesus and discover that he is indeed the wonderful counselor. His plans are always perfect. His ways are not always what you would sign up for or expect. But they're always gracious and they're always good and they're always full of delight and surprise. Wow. And as you walk with Jesus, you begin to realize that what he has said is true. There is strength and weakness. You realize that's true. There's blessing in brokenness. There is exaltation in humility. There is comfort in affliction. There is even life in the midst of death. All because of Jesus, the wonderful counselor. It's counterintuitive, but it's full and deep and lasting and joyful. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Listen to a supernatural, sure, and saving counsel. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And let that change your life forever. The resurrection story change your life forever. If you hear and believe, you see, Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. Listen to these words once again today. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's because God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. And that means that, therefore, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the counsel. That's the plan. That's the road. We need to believe in his words today. Won't you do that in order to be saved? Call on him. Ask him to give you eternal life. And maybe for some of you, you have not done it, and I would just say do it before you leave today. Why not now? And for the rest of us, it's a great reminder of who Jesus is. There was an author who once said the following, Jesus painted no pictures, yet some of the finest paintings of Raphael, Michelangelo, and 
Leonardo da Vinci received their inspiration from him. Jesus wrote no poetry, but Dante, Milton, and scores of other of the world's greatest poets were inspired by him. Jesus composed no music, but Hayden, Handel, Beethoven, Bach, Mendelssohn reached their highest perfection of melody in the hymns and the symphonies that composed were composed in praise to him. Every sphere of human greatness has been enriched by this humble counselor from Nazareth. His unique contribution to the race of men is the salvation of the soul. Philosophy cannot accomplish that. Nor art, nor literature, nor music. Only Jesus can break the enslaving chains of sin and Satan. He alone can speak peace to the human heart, strength to the weak, and give life to those who are spiritually dead. And that's because he is the wonderful counselor. Listen to him. Listen to his supernatural, sure, saving counsel. And let it begin to change your life forever. Because his wonderful counsel changes it like nothing else ever could. Let's pray.